Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, and today I have with me in the studio Jim McGrath, who is the owner of a company in Williamston that's called Nature's Discovery. Welcome to the show, Jim. Good to be here, Lee. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you here. Usually I've got a very well-bearded and boisterous <laughs> Rick Bruce with me, but sometimes business can keep you too busy. So it's just us. But truth is, listeners, you are in for a heck of a treat because whenever Jim is in the studio, it means that we're talking less and we're listening and we're learning more. What could be better than that. So, Jim, before we begin, why don't you share with our listeners what Nature's Discovery is, how you started it, why you started it, and what you continue to do with it. Sure. So it's Nature Discovery, okay. not not the possessive in there. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, you know, this is uh, uh, going back actually to my childhood growing up in inner city Chicago. So I I always, as a right down to a young child, had an intense interest in wild things out there in nature. And as a kid, I often talk about this in libraries in front of kids. I discovered field guides. Now I think a lot of a lot of listeners probably know what a field guide is, but for those who don't, it helps you identify. You know, these guides help you identify the various species of pretty much everything out in the natural world where you live. There are field guides for different regions, you know, that cover Michigan. For instance, field guides to birds, field guides to reptiles and amphibians, field guides to insects, butterflies and moths, wildflowers, etc. And I discovered those. And as an inner city kid, I was blown away at how much diversity was out there, and I would fantasize, check these books out of the library, and lay there on my bed looking through all of these pictures of all these frogs and birds and snakes and, and you know small mammals and things and keep saying to myself, someday I'm going to see this in real life, looking forward to it. Can you, you know? imagine what a chore it was for Noah? <laughs> I, mean, I don't think they exactly. had field, no field I don't guides think they had field hey, guides in this day. Don't we have two of you already? <laughs> Get out. <laughs> um, so, uh, but anyway, uh, by the time I reached my teenage years, I am going out finding these habitats. Now, I discovered in inner city Chicago that if you jump on a bus line and you just take it as far as it will go until you hit the turnaround, you know, and the, the line is going back the other way, you find woods. Mm-hmm. You know, we're at back then, you know, this is, you know, early 70s. We are at the edge of the city. It's all suburban now, mm-hmm. of course. But a friend of mine and I would get off there on a summer day and hang out in the woods all day long. And we're making all of these discoveries. Uh, for us, you know, different birds that we saw on field guides and, again, frogs, snakes, bugs, and things like that. That was uh, fascinating. But this is when I, in my personal life, discovered habitat destruction Mm -hmm. firsthand, and it upset me greatly. 
So uh, my friend and I had a favorite pond, Little Shallow. We're going to be talking about these more uh, today, but Little Shallow Pond that's called the Vernal Pond. I didn't know that back then, these shallow little low spots that fill with water and there's overgrowth there. And those are great for frog breeding. And they are probably the most important habitats for frog breeding in the world, these kind of habitats. And we discovered these frogs called chorus frogs breeding on there. We're wading in the water. We're finding frog eggs for the first times in our lives. I meet adults who have never seen frog eggs uh, before firsthand. Mm -hmm. And so we're wading through all this and discovering all this, and we were captivated by it. The next year we come back all destroyed. Gone. All gone. And it was in the middle of the construction project, and all, you know, all these, the woods are around, their birds are singing, it's just nature, raw nature, and it had all been leveled, and it was in middle of the destructive process. So it was on a weekend, I recall, nobody is around, but there's all this heavy earth-moving equipment all over, trees are, are torn down, bushes mm -hmm. are ripped up, there's muddy ruts from the you know, the tracks of the heavy equipment all over the place, devastation. Right. And there was not a peep of a single frog there. And he and I asked ourselves the question, do you, do we think anybody who is involved with destroying this habitat for whatever it was going to be, some development, knows what a chorus frog is? Probably Any of not. the people who are, who were working on destroying that from, you know, the developer, the realtor, whatever, right down to the people who are running the machinery. And he and I had to realistically say, no, not a single person involved in this knows that they just completely wiped out the breeding habitat of this frog right here. Right. Now, there's no question that a lot of people, they're thinking about development and they're not thinking about the impact that that development has, and it's, it's an issue. So we're talking this morning with Jim McGrath from Nature Discovery, and when we come back, folks, we're going to begin to learn about the sounds of spring as Jim is going to play for us how to recognize certain types of birds and certain types of frogs just by listening. And that's what we're going to talk about right here on 1320 WILS. It's the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we're talking this morning about the sounds of spring. And to lead us in the discussion, we have with us here in the studio Jim McGrath from Nature Discovery in Williamston. And to begin with, Jim, why don't you explain what it's like to discover birds without seeing them. And because I admit to you, as I said prior to our starting this morning, every morning I get up at 5.30 and I go down into my kitchen and I make a cup of coffee. And while I'm waiting for the water to boil, I let the dogs outside and I go and I stand on my porch in the dark. And I can't see much, but I hear everything. And that's a really great thing. The problem is I haven't listened to you enough or I've forgotten what you've said over the years because with one exception, I don't remember which bird sounds like what. But for all of you listening today, 
you're going to learn how to recognize who's doing the singing in your backyard or front yard or down the street. So take us through it. How, okay. how do we begin to recognize birds by sound? Right. And, you know, uh, first of all, I want to say uh, you're not alone there as far as, you know, forgetting, oh, you know, I know I heard that sound of that bird before, but forgetting who it is. Like everything else you learn about, repetition is required. Right. And there it is for this varies between individuals, of course, but there's a certain point where that repetition, whether it's the third or the fourth or the fifth time, reaches a point where all of a sudden it sticks in your brain and it doesn't leave. Well, when I hear teacher, teacher, I remember that one. Uh, That is, if I'm not mistaken, the gold-capped chickadee? Uh, It's called the black-capped. The black-capped chickadee. Okay. Uh, But, yeah, in fact, uh, so uh, just regarding um, what is the benefit of we call it birding by ear mm-hmm. as opposed to just you know birding by eye and it's this bird watching for a long time way going way back was called that pastime bird watching but uh some point over the last few decades there has become a recognition broadly that if you really want to know what birds are around you in the environment your hearing is not as important as your sight, it is more important. And the reason for that is most of these birds are not flying right up to you. Look at me. You know, you're walking around the environment, they're flying away from you. Or they're hidden in the branches of trees, they're in bushes, you hear one singing in your yard, but it's on the other side of your house, you know, on the other side of the house and so on. Or there's distance that's separating you from the bird, even though you might hear it, it's so far away, you don't see it. Well, and that's why robins are probably so popular, because they're willing to walk around on the lawn and make it easy to see. Right. You know, I I think it should be changed to lawn thrush instead of robin. You know, (laughs) it's just spend so much time on your lawn right outside your window for everybody to see. Right. So, you know, that's basically it. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, this is one of, you know, Nature Discovery's major uh, missions here is just to get people to acknowledge natural diversity around them. So today we're approaching that from an auditory uh, perspective. So I encourage everybody like you do in the morning, and that's what a great time to get out when the bustle of the day, the human day hasn't quite started yet. This, you know, the light is just starting to, you know, uh, brighten up the eastern horizon. And right now, robins, wow, I love this, getting out first light of day, robins are singing all over the place, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of like waking up. And we're going to cover the robins uh, breeding song uh, as well today. So who so, are we going to hear from first? Yeah, so let's do this. Uh, you mentioned the chickadee. Mm-hmm. So birds have um, songs, songbirds have a song and they have a call. And those are actually two different things. A call is just your basic day-to-day communication between birds of the species. But a song is a territorial thing, and it is related to nesting in the breeding season. And just about every songbird out there sings a territorial song that is basically letting 
all others of its kind know, it's called dibs on this particular spot where it's going to nest and provide for its young, and no others of its kind, except, except its mate, are allowed in that area. And they advertise this many, many times every day as you're getting into the nesting season and all through it. So first of all, the chickadee is named for its call, but it is not named for its song, which sounds totally different. So I'm going to play the chickadee call first, just chickadee-dee-dee, kind of like that. Here it goes. I think a lot of us have heard that. Mm Mm-hmm. If, if not, I tell people, you need to get out more. <laughs> I also see him on my bird feeder pretty oh, frequently. Oh, right. Major, major regular bird bird feeder visitor. And then the chickadees right now, wow, you step outside for a while. It does not take you long to hear this. You have a very shrill breeding song, territorial song, that sounds like, teacher. Uh, that's the one teacher. I hear so, every time. And I think of you because you're the one who taught me. Do what to listen for on that one. So here comes the real thing. There we go. Lots of chickadees out there. Doesn't take long to hear one of them belting this out. Absolutely. Are they drawn to water chickadees? Because uh, I will say I'm amazed how many of them comparatively that I see. Uh, probably even more than robins. Uh so around water, you're yes, saying? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, you know, pretty much everything out of necessity is going to be attracted to water. Okay. But basically, um, that's just one of many elements that a chickadee is going to need for its survival. But in general, you find more abundance and diversity of living things around water. Gotcha. And so you might just notice, hey, there's more chickadees. There's actually more of a lot of things when well, you're around the water. Well, fact is I'm a little bit spoiled in the fact that I have both woods and water okay. uh, close by. Yeah, so. so the chickadees are nesting in those woods, right. you know, but they might be foraging along the edge of the water or something for insects or seeds or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, so that is a permanent resident bird. You know, the chickadee is non-migratory. Right. We have quite a few birds that start to sing their breeding songs in late January, February. And it makes me, even though there's still a month or more of winter left, kind of gives me a pick-me-up hearing the permanent resident birds that didn't fly south for the winter starting to acknowledge that spring is around the corner. So cardinals, it's a bird called the house finch that starts singing. Tufted titmouse sing, starts singing. Nuthatches, most of these birds, I hear the first one singing in my yard before January is out. Gotcha. You know, late last week of January, February. And then it just increases in tempo. As the, the days get longer, birds are extremely sensitive to photo period, this increase in day lengths, and it just makes them sing more and more, you know, with a sense of urgency as 
nesting season approaches. And you're correct in the fact that it does inspire people to hear that because when you do, uh, I've always thought of it the same way I think of the crocuses. I mean, when you see them, it just puts a big smile on your face. Oh, right. Because for people Mm -hmm. who don't love cold weather and snow and ice, uh, it is just a sign that the days are getting longer Mm -hmm. and the spring is going to be here relatively soon. You hope the weather catches up, but at the same time, uh, it is inspiring. Right. So in late winter, there are really a lot of harbingers. You talk about harbinger of spring, and the more you recognize what's around you in the natural world, the more of these harbingers you find, and you know to look for them right. to, to pick yourself up. Look or listen, in this case, as, you, as you're walking around through the environment. So who else do we have in terms right. of in this chorus from the woods? Sure. <laughs> let's, um, let's, give, let's go with one more bird that is a permanent resident, common that everybody's familiar with before we get into some, some that are maybe not as familiar, uh, and that's the cardinal. So, you know, the cardinal sings, uh, individuals sing more of a variety of songs. There is variation. This chickadee is very simple, two notes, you know. Right. Uh, but the cardinals have a number of different songs. One of them... Is it the male or the female that does It's sing? mostly the male. F- females do sing but it's mostly the male. I'm going to say 90% or more of that song you hear outside is the male. And they're also tending to be the most bright in their coloration as well, which is surprising to people. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, when you see a beautiful bright red uh, cardinal, that's typically going to be the male of the species. Right. Not the so the, the female is overall brownish looking, same yep. size and and um, you know um, contour, let's say, as the male with the with the signature crest that right. everybody knows they have. But the female is mostly brownish. She does have a bright orange beak that stands out against that brown, and there's some reddish on the tips of her wings and on the the tip of her crest and a little bit on her tail. You know, she's subtly a very subtly beautiful bird gotcha. in her own right. And what so, does she sound like? So the, uh, well, let's say he, or but he. the female will yeah. sing kind of a, a little bit of a muted version of what the male does. But um, one of the, it's good to put word handles we uh, to the bird songs to help you remember them. So, you know, the chickadee, teacher, well, they're not really saying teacher, but right. it helps us remember it. In the cardinal, here's words that I started coming up with when I was a teenager listening to him and identify him. And I thought to myself, that cardinal up there sounds like it's singing. Cheer, 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 wit, 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 cheer, cheer, wit, 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 like that. Others sound like, my wife says, like they are singing birdie, only with an emphasis on the D. Birdie, 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 birdie. So there are two of them. And there are actually several others. So let me play this recording. Um, Let's see. This is pretty close to what we hear around here. So you're getting some variation there. Mm -hmm. But this bird belts out the song. It gets up near the top of a tree, and it belts it out, you know. 
If everything else is quiet, you know, not tons of traffic, I'm sure you could hear a cardinal, no problem, singing from about a quarter mile away. Right. They really belt it out. Yeah, they do. Yeah. No question about it. Okay, so, um, uh, yeah, let me know if you have any questions about any of these, but there's a lot of birds out there, and I'm just going to keep going. Well. So, uh, but uh, the robin, uh, now I just wrote a column in our newsletter uh, about the uh, – how Rob, the first robin of spring, people getting all excited. I saw my first robin of spring, you know, sometime in the month of March. That is changing right now before our eyes. I don't think, uh, I, I, I believe at least now 10 winters in a row, I have seen many robins in the greater Lansing area that never decided to fly south for the winter. Right. And so there are reasons for that. I encourage people to read that column in our March newsletter, opening our March newsletter. I think you'll find it fascinating why, you know, I'm pointing out reasons why these robins aren't migrating anymore, but it's in March that the robins start setting up their own nesting territories. Right. Now, I know we're short on time here uh, before well, our break, but maybe we can pick that up why as don't soon as we, we come back. Why don't we do that? We're talking with Jim McGrath from Nature Discovery. And after the break, you'll hear the sound of the robin that I'm sure you've heard almost every day, but maybe didn't know what it was right here on 1320 WILS. For the latest news and information on animal care, it's the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Here are your hosts, Rick Pruse and Lee Cohen. It's 9.35, and we're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we've been talking this morning all about the sounds of spring. And here with me in the studio is Jim McGrath, who is with Nature Discovery in Williamston. And Jim, before the break, you set us up for the sound of the robin, which is the Michigan bird. So if you haven't heard it in this state, then I don't know what you're listening to when you're out. Side. So tell us, what is it that we hear? All right. So, uh, yeah, robins uh, uh, rampantly all over start claiming breeding territories in late March and in, in early April. And so uh, all you need to do is step out your door, especially early in the morning where it's unfettered from other uh, background noises to hear robins singing and the words the word handle I put to its song is uh, a combination of cheerily, cheer up, cheerily, all mixed up. So it might go something like cheerily, cheer up, cheer up, cheerily, cheerily, cheer up, cheerily, cheerily, kind of like that. And then there'll be a pause. And then a few seconds later, it'll start over with that. Why so, is Charlie in such a bad mood that she needs cheering up? Oh, I said C H Shirley, not oh, Shirley. Okay, let's leave s- Shirley out of this. <laughs> uh, well, I certainly won't call you again. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, here is see if see if uh, you know listeners out there can uh, imagine those words. Cheer up, Shirley, as I said, listening to this. Okay. On any sunny day, you will hear that you will hear that sound all over the place. 
So I'll tell you, it is a special for me, you know, uh, Mr. Nature Guy. It almost feels like, I am not kidding, a religious experience. Hey, everybody out there, you have to try this. If you don't live in a rural area, you know, find somewhere where you can get out with nature all around you. First light of day, even a little bit before it's starting to get light right now. This is peak robin singing season as they are, you uh, you know, populating the landscape and claiming their territories. And it is such a magical sensation that very first light of day with robins singing close and far when a robin closer to you stops singing you can hear in the distance two or three others going in in almost a 360 around you mm-hmm. you know and then the close one starts up again and so you've got all this different volume and distance of robins going like crazy and the bustle of the day hasn't started as i said and it's just magical calming like i say for me almost feeling like a religious experience it's nature's you know. choir oh right exactly <laughs> so uh anyway that it, there are so many birds i've got uh, uh in michigan here there's well over 300 species of birds you can see in the state i'm going to give you our nature discovery michigan birds checklist Thank and you, you look at that and it's like wow that's a lot of birds yeah you sure know the is. type is really tiny to squeeze them all onto that card um but so all we can do here in our our time together is give a little sampling of these things and hopefully give people some motivation to get on out there and and this is what we do we lead people on these. So if you're a beginner in this area, we can enhance your experience by, you know, contacting us, you well, know, for a special appointment. Well, and what I like about what you're doing today is that you're giving us birds that I don't have to get in my car and drive three hours north in order to see. Don't get me wrong. I used to go see the Kirtland Warbler when they were on the endangered species list Mm -hmm. because uh, my wife's family had a cottage that was right in the nesting area. But I got to say, that's not necessarily what birding is all about. It's it's great to see these rare birds. Don't get me Mm -hmm. wrong. But if you don't enjoy this this chorus that takes place in your own backyard every day, you're missing something, and you got to pay attention to it. It's a simple pleasure. It is a cleansing pleasure. It's the song of the earth. Right. I describe it that way sometimes. Yeah, no question about right. it. So what else are we going to hear? Okay, I want to throw a more unusual one at you. Unusual to some people. It's not a songbird, but you're outside anytime. This bird might fly over. It's a wetland bird. It's a duck. Mm-hmm. So everybody's familiar with the mallard. And everybody knows, you know, if you ask somebody the question, what does a duck say? Without even realizing, we've got over 20 species of ducks that you can see in the state of Michigan, and all of them have their own noises that they make. But if you ask anybody, what does a duck say, they're going to go, whack, whack, you know, do that. Or it's wabbit season. (laughs) (laughs) Or that duck. (laughs) The duck we grew up with. (laughs) Exactly. Well, we're, we're baby boomers, Yes, not, not the duck younger people grew up with. Um, but anyway, the wood duck, yes. Yeah. So when, when you hear somebody giving the duck call, you know, quack, 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 that's a mallard. You know, they're giving you the mallard. Right. But there are many ducks out there that have calls that are quite different from a quack, and probably they go over calling, you know, fly over your head, and 
you know, people just dismiss it. They have no idea what that was. So the beautiful wood duck, I think a lot of people would would agree, is the most beautiful, ornately patterned, you know, duck in uh, Michigan and beyond. Uh, the female, when she flies up off of a pond, and often if she gets startled by you or me, you walk up to the edge of the pond, and they're shy birds, like, I'm out of here. And as she takes off and starts flying away, she gives this, like, ooey-ooey call. Uh, and, I, and usually she's got a male with her, but it's just the female that makes this sound. I just heard this this morning when I went out into our yard. Uh, a female flew up from our ponds out back. So here is that sound. And some of you might say, hey, I think I heard that. It's like they're having a conversation. That is a pretty distinctive call, and it's very and it's fairly loud. Now, uh, so listen for that whenever you're around water. But sometimes I'm quite far away from water, and there just happens to be a pair of them flying over my head, and she's very vocal mm-hmm. calling. So bizarrely, the male wood duck, the drake, sounds completely different than the female. It doesn't even sound bird-like, much less than uh, duck-like. So I'm going to play his call. He was actually calling in the background uh, of the female that I just recorded, but he's easy to miss because he's not as loud. It's just this really shrill, buzzy, zweet, zweet, like that. That's a duck. (laughs) Wow. Oh, just took off, apparently. Yeah, so uh, um, often we, to try to get people to understand that, you know, the natural diversity that's out there, we will start an audience out with that. What does a duck say? And they gave you the standard mallard quack, you know, and then we play this, and we might even play one or two other ducks sounds that they, if they're around water, they might, might be able to hear. Interesting. So uh, let's see. If we have time... I would like to play one more bird. Yeah, we do. That is, uh, everybody's familiar with the mockingbird. Now, the mockingbird is not in Michigan generally. Every now and then a, uh, a vagrant shows up uh, somewhere in the state. However, we have a northern version of the mockingbird closely related that migrates south, but they start uh, coming back to Michigan in early April, and it's called the brown thrasher. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous bird, uh, a very rich brown on the back, and it has a very long tail. It's about uh, the size of a robin, but its tail is much longer, and it has a curved beak. And mockingbirds can be identified, and every birder knows this, uh, auditorily in the fact that they're called mockingbirds because every one sings a different song, but nearly every time one is singing, it has phrases that it repeats, and it says everything three times before it moves on to the next phrase. So if you were to put words to these, uh, I learned this actually in an educational recording, think of the words, uh, drop it, cover it up, pick it up. 
And if a mockingbird were singing that, it would be going, drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it, cover it up, cover it up, cover it up. It always says the phrases three times or more before moving on. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, drop it, 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 sometimes 10 times. Cover it up, cover it up, cover it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, like that. The brown frequency is how you communicate. And they mimic things in the environment all around them. So every mockingbird sounds different than the other, but what you pick up is, whoa, there's the repeater, there's the repeater bird. Uh, The brown thrasher in Michigan does the same thing, but almost every phrase that it sings It only does it twice before moving on. It does it in couplets, so to speak. And so I'm going to play one of these here. Well, maybe maybe down south they're more patient. (laughs) That's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, they're not in such a hurry. So notice this. Now, occasionally you'll hear something come out of it that is not doubled up, but easily 80 90% of them are. Here we go. So listen for this. Double phrases. Okay, so I think most of your listeners could tell, yeah, it's a repeater. Yeah, I hear, I hear. So, uh, but that's uh, what we might call a little bit advanced birding. Uh, so um, anyway, listen for that. Out in the country, you got to get out into the country, and they nest in hedgerows that might be right next to a road, and the bird loves to get up in the tip top of a tree that's sticking up out of a hedgerow of dense bushes singing this. And I'll walk around our country block about three miles by the time we get to um, mid-April, and I will hear five or six of them in the few-mile walk you know, singing not not far off of the road, right. and it's a real treat on my walk. Well, there's no question about it, and these are some great birds to listen to now. And don't forget, when tax time comes, so does the hummingbird. So they're always <laughs> interested here as well. But, Jim, we need to take one more break. And when we come back, I'd like to shift gears because birds aren't the only ones making noise in the mornings and in the evenings. We also have frogs in nature that do, and you've brought a couple of those as well. So we'll have that conversation with Jim McGrath right here on 1320. W-I-L-S. Oh, well, everybody's about the bird. It's the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 W-I-L-S. I am the little red We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And, Jim, as I mentioned before the break, I wanted to hear some of the songs of frogs because they're out there active, too, and they, they have a voice. They want it heard. So talk a little bit about frog song. Sure. Now, uh, the earliest frogs of the spring have all started calling. Even though it's been kind of a chilly last couple of weeks, they can't help it. They know it's their time of year. Right. And as it gets warmer, they're even going to get more vocal. But the er- they're Different species of frogs in Michigan have their own chronology of when they call in the spring and therefore they're laying eggs. Uh, Some are early spring breeders, mid-spring breeders, some late spring even getting into summer. Mm -hmm. So the earliest ones happen to be the tiniest ones that are on these shallow, weedy ponds called vernal ponds. And I brought two of them 
uh, for you to look at, Lee, here in a jar. They're only about an inch in length, and one of them is the spring peeper, and the second one is called the chorus frog, and both of these are calling on the shallow vernal ponds right now, just depressions in the ground filled with water out in rural areas. Spring peeper, it's amazing what a loud noise can come out of such a little body. <laughs> I recorded this. You know, we have a recording of, uh, of all the frogs of Michigan. You can learn them. Uh, we can talk more about that later. But here is our pond on our property after dark on a warmish night right about April 1st. So the timing is perfect. Here we go. Now, when you're listening to this, this is going to be way louder. Check up the volume as loud as possible if you want a sense of what it's like actually on that pond or right at the edge of it. You almost feel like you need earplugs or something. What a powerful force of nature. But if you hear this, we often say, think of these spring peepers as sending two messages. One of them is we are spring peepers and we are making more of ourselves <laughs> breeding time out there. The second one, loud and clear, is there are no fish in this pond. These tiny frogs are no bigger than a cricket. And if that pond had fish, think of bluegills or something. What does a bluegill do to a cricket that gets dropped on the water? Mm -hmm. It's gone. So all of the fish would eat these little frogs. If they don't get the frogs, they're going to get their eggs. These need fish-free waters, which is basically part of the definition of a vernal, vernal pond. So uh, I'm going to turn that off and let you know that um, we bought our house uh, way back in uh, fall of 89 for the frogs. I'm not kidding. We, yes, we brought our house, bought our house for the frogs. And uh, when we found out, uh, this is out north of Williamston, when we found out, so we're looking through the house, that on the six acres out back, there were two vernal ponds. Now, in this fall, none of the frogs are calling. But uh, when the woman told us that in the spring, these low spots fill with water and the frogs are so loud that even with the windows closed, it's hard to sleep at night. She didn't know who she was talking to. She just <laughs> sold her house when she said that. And the first spring we were there, we counted seven different species of frogs, all unique calls. Right. Um on that, and I thought, hey, there's only 13 species of frogs in Michigan. I'm going to make my own educational publication uh, with that features all of the frog calls of Michigan to help people learn them. So this recording you just heard was on our pond yep. uh, after dark, right about this time of year. Now, there's a second frog that you might hear on vernal ponds, depending on the habitat uh, around it, that is called the chorus frog. And the chorus frog sounds quite different than the peeper. It sounds like somebody dragging their thumbnail down the teeth of a comb. It's more mechanical sounding, so it kind of goes brrr, 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 kind of like that. And so I'm going to let this one play out now. Well, hopefully this they, was also recorded on the pond on our property. Hopefully they do it in unison with a name like a chorus frog. So. Uh, exactly, <laughs> and they do appropriately. Here it goes. So can you oh, yes. see where you could en envision somebody dragging their thumbnail across the teeth of a comb? Well, it, it's a it's a trilling kind of sound. Yes. 
Now, I'm going to mention while you're listening to this, every now and then you hear these little quacky sounds in there. Yep. Those are wood frogs, another species but that just as soon as not long after the, that ice melts, right about the end of March, early April, they come out of the woods, they hit the pond, and start doing their breeding activity. So on one of these ponds, you get to have spring peepers calling and chorus frogs and wood frogs if the habitat is appropriate wow. and they're around them. So here's something a lot of people miss. A frog doesn't, does, doesn't just live in a pond. Most of Michigan's frogs live in woods or fields, and they only go to the pond to lay their eggs in the spring. They have no other use for that pond except as their nursery for their young, you know, that they uh, start up early in the spring like this. Wow. Okay. I love this sound. Now, t- uh, you need to get out maybe on a day where it's getting into the upper 40s or so, and it's sunny or something, and in the middle of a sunny day, you'll drive by or walk by one of these vernal ponds, hear all these chorus frogs going. Oh, there's a couple of peepers going in there now, too. And pick the peepers out. Yep. All right, so here's what's going to happen in this recording. When I picked up the recorder and microphone, decided to go out there, it's about 6 o'clock in the evening, uh... I wanted to record wood frogs. They were going nuts, quacking away out there, and I wanted to record that. And I go wading into the water where the wood frogs are, and the wood frogs saw me coming. They all dive underwater. Uh Uh-oh, danger, danger, and they all dive underwater. But I knew they were there, and if I stand there like a statue, like a stump sticking out of the water for three three to five minutes... One by one, these little wood frog heads start poking back up out of the water all around me. There's 10, now there's 20, now there's 30. And all of a sudden, there's like 50 little heads poking up out of the water. And all I needed is one of them to start quacking. And it induces all of the other ones to start going. So that is about to kick in right now. Well, Jim, I was going to say, unfortunately, we are running out of time. Uh, for this week's shows. There it is. Okay, but anyway, uh, yeah, I've got such a wealth of knowledge uh, to share with you about nature. I well, can't let's, help myself. Well, right, actually, okay. before we go, why don't you share with everyone, if they want information about nature discovery, where can they go find it? Sure. I think the, the best first thing to do is our website is naturediscovery.net. And uh, in a lot of ways, we operate like a nature center, but it's a private nature center. It's attached to our home, and we have what we call the largest zoo of Michigan native reptiles and amphibians for you to interact with there. But talking about birds and sounds out in the environment, we lead uh, special appointments of people, small groups, large groups, it really doesn't matter, on these excursions to help you know the natural world better. Well, Jim McGrath, thank you so much for being with me today and sharing your knowledge. And on behalf of our producer, Bruce Warner, this is Lee Cohen, wishing all of you a great weekend and a great week ahead. We'll talk next weekend on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Have a great weekend, everybody.